Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Amen. Thank you. Well, this morning we're going to think about God as I am. We're going to be looking at the God in His attributes. And um, this is one of those lessons that Bob put together in a way that, uh, that follows very carefully the, the, the book of theology that was the guide for all the classes that we're doing. And, uh, and so there may be points where I'm going to disagree, not so much with Bob, although I think he and I are probably on the same page, but on, or I'm going to add some to what Bob says. Bob is doing well. Finished his first four days of chemo and radiation, and seems to be doing just fine. So we're grateful for that. And uh, what else do I have to say? If you're wondering, I have a passionate wife, and she gets angry. And when she gets angry, you got to run. Okay? <laughs> or she'll catch. She's just getting back at me for all the times I've been in bed at night thinking I'm fighting a dog and I'm actually kicking her. So, <laughs> Actually, I had tooth surgery. I had four teeth pulled and some sinus things done this week. So that's if you're wondering why I'm looking a little bruised up here. I was very grateful to, um, to my daughter-in-law, to uh, Audrey, and to Courtney Hassan because I got the medicine out of my refrigerator that I need for my blood to, to be normal. I have hemophilia and I take factor. I went over to, um, I went to, uh, to Courtney's house and she's an, an ICU nurse and she put a, a, uh, an IV in my arm the night before and then I went over to Audrey's the next morning with the line inserted because Audrey didn't want to put in a, a line in, in me because she hasn't done it for three or four years as a nurse and so she said, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to get someone else to put it in. I'll give you the medicine. So I got the medicine, and I praise God for the medicine, which would have cost if I had had to pay $30,000. And, uh, and so the company that makes the medicine has put me on their charity list. And for now two years, I've gotten the medicine, and I've probably gotten $300,000 worth of medicine in that time. 240 of it was when I had surgery. You know, a lot of it was right then. They forgave that. But um, it allowed me to do this. I wouldn't have had this surgery if I didn't have that medicine, you know. So I'm grateful to God for it. We're going to, we're going to be thinking about God as the, the great I am. Where did God say I am? <laughs> Does anyone know? Yeah, Moses asks him, who are you? You know, you're sending me back. And what does God say? I am who I am. You know, I am who I am. And, and the, the name that in the Hebrew or, um, is Yahweh, that the King James Version translated as Jehovah, is a variation on the verb to be, I am, or to be. His personal name. So in the Greek and Hebrew, there are generic names for God, and then there are personal names. <coughs> so God says, I am Elohim among the Elo, I, I am among the Eloi. I am God among the gods, and that's a generic name. <clears throat> and God is not unwilling to say, I'm a God, and to call other gods, but they're false gods. But as the I am, that is his personal name, 
personally revealed to Moses at the burning bush, apparently never revealed to, to those who preceded Moses. Now, I think the Bible refers to God as I am prior to Moses in the stories of Genesis and so forth, but that's Moses authoring it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so Moses, to whom God reveals his personal name, is actually the author of those books. And so we don't know if God had revealed himself, but it does seem like this name is given to Moses and to Israel at the burning bush and at Sinai. So we're thinking about God as the I am, and we want to talk about God and what he is, his attributes. He is the I am. If you say I am, you go, I am. The, the thing begs a, a what, what's the, what's the, um, I am, it's not the direct object, that needs a transitive verb, right? You know, I, uh, but it needs something, right? What, what is it? Does anyone know what the term is? A predicate? Or, no, that's a verbal noun. Um, does anyone know? what that term of speech is, I am, what, what the subject of am would be? I don't think so. I think that's got to have a transitive verb and a verb of being. Uh, subject would be I, am. But you, you understand what I'm saying, how it begs for something. It seems to be incomplete. And yet with God, that's complete. I am. All right. And that's important to remember as we go down the, the road that we're going to go down this morning that this is, this is complete in itself. I am. You, you think about that and you think, what does that indicate? That God says, I am who I am. I am. That his name is I am. He's the ultimate. <laughs> yeah, ultimacy. Not created. Uncreated, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Ultimacy, uncreated. Anything else? What's that? His, his existence is, is the ground of everything, sort of. You, you, you end up going back to some of the thoughts of the Greek philosophers, almost. You know what I'm saying? Who, who in their darkness, nevertheless, perceived God's light and, and taught things about God that were true based on natural revelation. And one of, you know, among those is that God is and everything else comes from him. Now, they had... It points strange ways of, well, wrong ways, I should say. I don't think they're strange. I think they're very common, but wrong ways of viewing that. So, for instance, Platonic thought, Plato would teach that God is and the reality is out there and, our, and, the, and he establishes forms and these forms are the reality and the created world is beneath the forms. It's just partaking in the forms that God has given. And so your goal as a human being in Platonic philosophy is to reach the Platonic ideal, which is to live in the level of the forms and not, and not be concerned about this physical life, the physical world. And so you have a dualism 
and and it's it's common throughout it's common throughout time it's common in our world today that i am who i think of myself as and not as i am in the flesh you know what i do down here is beneath who i am up there you know many of you see the uh the movie um some years ago, Beautiful Mind, something like that. Yeah, it was about this uh, guy who had this, what was it? Some kind of autism or something like that where he is a savant at math and just brilliant and brilliant. And if you could see his mind, it was beautiful, but his life was a mess, you know, and he was nasty. And Really, that is a, a way that m many of us perceive of ourselves and that we want to be perceived that we are living at this level and it doesn't matter who we are down here. It's not the reality of God. God does not permit that. In fact, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the strongest evidence that this is just fully wrong. This idea that, that the flesh is nothing and that the, the form of God is what we should be approaching. So we have the God who has attributes. The I am is certain things. Some of those attributes are called communicable, like a disease. You can catch them. You can grow in them. Some of them are, well, okay, Bob has it down here. For instance, uh, we share in that God is spirit. Then there are incommunicable attributes that are God's alone. What would be an incommunicable attribute of God? Okay, omnipotence, yeah, that he's all-powerful. Name another one. What? Omnipresent, yeah, exactly. Something that we can't even begin to do. I mean, it's just totally outside our, our realm. Wyatt, what were you going to say? That's an interesting one. Yes, um, infinite would be the word I'd use. You know, you understand why? Yeah. Why? Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to live eternally, aren't you? So in some respects, we, we share in his eternality, but not in his infinitude. You, you understand? Uh, any others? Omniscience, which is his knowing everything. Yeah. Okay, so we have those that are, and we have infinite, immortal, unchangeable as primary characteristics, attributes of God in, that are incommunicable. And then the communicable and his being, we are beings, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice his goodness, and his truth. These are attributes that we're called to put on. So we are called in Jesus Christ to... It's very interesting that um, the Bible really does urge us to be like God, doesn't it? I mean, how many times can you think of where the Bible tells us, be like God? Can you think of a... Of, of, of a place where the Bible says something like that? The Beatitudes, that's a challenge, but it, okay, it, it is like Jesus, but it doesn't specifically, in a sense, say like God. 
Okay, do you understand what I'm saying, Steve? Yeah, be imitators of God. Yeah, be holy as I am holy. And then you have the even more powerful passages that don't maybe immediately jump to mind, but it says, put on Jesus Christ, that, that you are being formed in the image of Christ, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that, and you have all these things that actually say God's, God's desire for you is to turn you into someone who is filled with him and like him. And you know what they used to call this in the, in, the, in the old days, and it's a dangerous term today because no one understands it. But you read the, the writers of the, the fourth century, especially the Cappadocian fathers, and they call it this process that they say is the essence of the Christian life is deification, your deification. Now, they don't mean that you become God in his incommunicable attributes, which is what people want. You know, I want to be all powerful. No, it's not that. But they say, you, in union with Christ, become part of God. You become part of his family. You're filled with his Holy Spirit. And so you grow into the reflection and the real being of God. Again, you know, the Bible says these things. Um, and we, we poop with them because we don't want to claim this, and that's right. And yet, if we, if we poo-poo the, the challenges and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the calling of, to, to put on Christ and to, to live as sons of the Most High, it may keep us safe in regard to the incommunicable attributes and the ego of it. But don't you need some kind of ego to do this as well? You, you understand what I'm saying? I don't mean ego in the bad sense, and I don't mean pride in the bad sense. But don't you need a shot in the arm to say, hey, this is real, and I, can, I must do this, and God has given me what I need to be like him, to be in his image, not just in his image, to partake of him, to be filled with him, to live him. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? And so, in some respects, we want to be as, as humble as we can possibly be in regard to these, the ones we want and the ones that we claim. And when you hear uh, Larry Bird said in a, uh, in a basketball game, how many of you know Larry Bird? Uh, Sarah. Oh, you put your hand up. Okay. <laughs> I thought... She's so pure, she's never even heard of Larry Bird. <laughs> Larry Bird played uh, uh, with the Celtics in the late 80s, played the Bulls. And uh, Michael Jordan was just in his ascendancy. And Michael Jordan went out in that game, and the Celtics were just, they were all better than the Bulls, okay? But I think that was the game that Jordan scored like, 56 or 60 points all by himself in the playoffs. They still lost, the Bulls lost. But Larry Bird, after the game, made a, said something famous. Anyone remember what he said? He says, I don't know if we were playing the, uh, Michael Jordan if it was God out there. In, in the, and that was kind of the approach that Michael Jordan, well, it was his approach to life. It was the approach of people to him. He's a God. He's God, you know? which is certainly not 
the kind of hubris that any of us want to have, this idea that we can make it happen. But on the other hand, there's a certain boldness that's David going against Goliath, that's Jonathan saying to his, his um, armor bearer, you know, God can do it by two as many as by a thousand. Let's go up against these uncircumcised Philistines. And that, it's not, it's not hubris or pride maybe, but it's boldness and confidence. And we want the boldness and confidence of God to put on these incommunicable attributes. Okay, what is God? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism has an answer. God is a spirit. All right, and these are all found in the Bible. That's why there's the A. That's the footnotes. Who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. <coughs> why does it say unchangeable in his being? Is God changeable? Well, he, 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 I don't know if he changed his mind there. He, he certainly went along with uh, Abraham's bargaining, did he? Yeah, but I don't think he'd set a number that began with. But, but, uh, but an example might be him t sending Jonah to Nineveh to say 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, which might look like God had said one thing and then he changes his mind by not destroying it, right? Now, we understand that God's warnings are all almost always warnings of judgment if we don't change. You know, it's like my saying to my son, I'm going to spank you, you know, and everyone understands that that's, if I'm going to spank him, I'm going to do it right now. And so this is a, a warning rather than, but is God changeable? Yeah. He's the same. He says, I, I am unchanging. Why do you think they put down unchangeable in his being? Wisdom, power, holiness, goodness, and truth. Ah, I'm reading it wrong. Okay, I'm reading it wrong. I thought it was unchangeable in his being. And I thought, wow, I never noticed that before, but I just read it wrong sideways here. Okay, so it's unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All right. I thought they were qualified. Suddenly I was thinking, I remembered this wrong. Good. All right. They don't teach heresy. <laughs> uh, you can tell that I didn't memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism as a child. I did have to memorize Luther's, but not the Westminster because I went to a Lutheran school. All right. So these are the proof texts of these and the Westminster Catechism gives us texts that will back up all these. Now, God is the original. His incommunicable attributes, spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Man is in the image of God, right? God is the stamp, and we are the impression, right? We come off his mold. He is the original. We are the image. Man is a living soul. He is finite, temporal, and changeable. And... Between us, so man, the image, is living soul, finite, temporal, changeable. That is 
incommunicable to God. Just as God is that, and we can't be it, we are this, and God is not that. All right? But in between, we have His being, His wisdom, His power, His holiness, justice, goodness, truth. And, of course, we could add many, many to these attributes. So you have the real boy, as G.I. Williamson, who writes this thing that we use with our youth. Uh, and, and it's really, he's not much of an artist, is he? Yeah, the real boy, okay, round head, little tuft of hair. And he has hair and eyes and smile and dress, and he has position, he has all these things. And then you have the image, right? Well, if man is the image of God, it means that this is the real, and we are the, the representation. We are the mirror. We are not the real. We are the copy, right? And, uh, and yet, as copies, what do we do? What do we do so often, forgetting that we're copies? Yeah, we, we say... We say, the image says, you're like this, you're like me, you're this. Well, that's not the way we can go, is it? It's, God has not established it that we can tell him we are the ones in the mirror. And, and our goal is to be as perfectly like the, the original, but we can't throw our character onto him. When we do that, well, it's sin, but it's often a very particular type of sin, which is what? Grave sin, blasphemous. Okay. Years ago, my I was in California. What time is it? Years ago, I was in California as an intern at a church, and uh, I was much more open to the charismatic movement than the the staff of this church or the church as a whole, and they knew it. At least members of the staff, it was a big church. Yeah, but the, the senior members of the staff knew this about me. And, uh, and so there was a very famous church down the way, small, but well-known in that area called the Vineyard. It was one of the first vineyards. There's a number in Toledo now, and they've gone all over the country. But this is back when there were just a few of them. And they were doing a, a seminar on, uh, for pastors and lay people on how to do healing prayers healing prayer seminar. It was a weekend seminar at this little church. And so my, the pastor of my church, Chuck Swindoll, and my, the guy who was his right-hand man, who was my closest friend, still a good friend, um, said, David, we want you to go and represent our church at this, at this vineyard seminar on healing prayer. I thought, good. Openness. Fine. I'm glad, you know. I had been at odds with them because they had denied ordination to a guy who said that in private, he prayed in tongues, and I had really been upset at them about it, and they knew it. And so they were sending me to this sort of as a sop, you know, ah, David. And so I went to this seminar on healing prayer, and there were maybe 80 people there. And it started off like seminars doing a church, you know, and everything seemed great. But as they went on, they started talking about how <clears throat> when people are hurt, whether it's whatever type of, of issue they have, and quickly it became clear that they weren't talking about healing a physical disease alone, all right? In fact, I, I don't think that was really their focus, though they advertised it as that. They went on and they said, well, what you have to realize is that this stems from 
something that's happened in their relationship with God. All disease, all suffering is because we're at odds with God. And if we're ill, it's because of this broken relationship with God. And, and because of what God has done in our lives, many of us are in pain. And therefore, if people are going to be, if people are going to be healed, you need to lead them to the point where they are willing to forgive God for what he's done to them. And so the first step in, in praying healing prayers is to bring the people that need healing to forgive God. And I went, whoa, this is crazy. You know, I mean, I, I thought it was crazy, but I was 24, 25, you know. And, uh, and so I went home, and uh, my dad called that night. And uh, I told him about it, and he asked about it. He knew I'd been going. And uh, I said, Dad, you know, they're saying that we have to lead people to forgive God. And I said, what do you think about that? Well, my dad, I'll never forget, he'd do this at times. He'd turn around, and he'd say, well, what do you think? And I said, I, said, I don't think it sounds right. And he said, no, it sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? You know? Well, this is what happens when we start thinking we can, we can judge God, that our attributes are more real than his truth. You know? We blaspheme. And it's a danger. We live in a blasphemous age where men are constantly putting on God their thoughts, their ways. God says, I am not at all like you. You know, I'm not like you. So um, now we're coming to aseity. Um, this is the character of God. Do you know that any of you are familiar with the name aseity? A uh, is ah, uh, you know, it's like, what, what words begin with A? A critical, A, a social, A, yeah, without, non-social. You know, anytime you put A in front of something and as that Latin prefix, it means not or without, okay? So uh, God's aseity is his, his uh, being from himself. He's without any other influence. He is what he is. There's a political form of this that is, uh, I can't remember the term for it, but it's practiced in North Korea. Um, North Korea, and there's a term for it, for their market system in North Korea. Does anyone know the term I'm looking for? Where they strive to be absolutely self-supporting uh, self in every area, so they absolutely need no one or anything. I can't remember the term, but it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of an attempt to be like God, where I am complete in myself, and we don't have to import. We make it all. We do it all. And that way, we're insulated from other nations, and they can't get at us. And it's been the hidden kingdom of uh, China for years cut itself off. J Japan was that way. It was common in Asian countries. And uh, it's a kind of reflection of a desire to be like God, who doesn't need anything. He is in himself. 
Um, it's the property by which a being exists in and of itself. God contains within himself all things. He's the prime mover, the first cause. He himself uncaused. One positive aspect, one negative. The positive is absolute independence. The negative is, and this is not negative as in it's a bad thing. It means negatively, it means he is not negative, not caused, uh, that he is not brought about, that he is not created, that he is not that. He is absolutely independent. I'm going to go past these dudes. Cornelius Van Til, Herman Bovink, and come back to here. So God's aseity is I am. I am. I am who I am. Ego. I am. I am. I exist. I am. Which, of course, is the, the ultimate offense in our day, that for God to say, I am. You know? No, you're not. No, we don't recognize you. Who are you? You're not. I. And he says, I am. And really, there's probably nothing that could more transform our lives than to take this name of God and to actually believe it. I am. I am. I am here. I am wise. I am loving. I am to be feared. I am. I am. Just start dealing with God as he is. I am. So in Exodus 3, they're going to ask me what's his name, which is why we think that they hadn't known the name of God before this, right? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, Yahweh. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. Now, you remember that the, the Hebrews did not, um, did not pronounce this name. It was such holy ground and so, so revered that they didn't pronounce it. And in fact, when the scribes in the Old Testament days, added the vowels to the, to the Hebrew alphabet. You know, the vowels got added to alphabets later, you know? And so you can, you can read English without the vowels. Am I making sense? You know, if I said CLD, uh, what word would you think I'm speaking? Could or cold. You know, I mean, everyone who's playing Wordle understands this principle, right? How many of you are playing Wordle? None of you? All right, our whole family's addicted at this point. It's guessing words from letters. So you, you can read a word. You can, you can figure out a word just from consonants. Hebrew was written without consonants, but at some point the scribes went in and they said it would be easier. We're going to follow the the modern fashion, we're going to put vowels in. And so they've added them as points, called vowel points, behind the Hebrew letters, the consonants. You know, the lamas, the, all these Hebrew letters, they put in a vowel point. And that would teach you the, to distinguish it from another word that had the same consonants, like could or cold, you know? Because it's the consonant that makes the difference there, right? So, um, or the vowels, excuse me. So, um, when they came to the name for Yahweh, though, these scribes, for I am, they refused to put in vowel points. 
they, they would not do it and have traditionally never done that. And so you, you will sometimes see kind of Hebraic guys who kind of idolize Hebrew things will write God in English, G-D. Have you ever seen that? Well, it's insane. It makes no sense because he did. It's, it makes great sense, and I'm, I'm entirely with it. Okay, I'm moving on. I don't. Right. Well, the reason I said that is that that's the generic name for God, and they always put the vowel points in Elohim. You understand? It's not so. All right. The first of his incommunicable attributes is his self-existence. All other attributes are derived from this one. His self-existence, he is self-sufficient, he is self-contained. He has absolute control. Okay, now we're coming to the heart of these things. All right? God is in control. God is in control and we're not. His authority, and he does what he wants. And he's accountable to no one because he's perfect, he's righteous, he's true, he's wise, and we're not. We're sinful. So God is I am. And the great goal of our lives is to submit ourselves to the I am. To say, okay, God, I understand who you are, and I understand who I'm not, and therefore, I'm now, Bob goes off into a subset here, and I don't want to go deal with it, but um, he goes on to Jesus claims, I am, and Jesus makes a number of claims, especially in the book of, of John. I am, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the way, I am, right? And all these are claims of Jesus to being I am. But I, I don't think it, it's, it's entirely helpful to go down all those uh, other than to say that Jesus is just like the Father in I am. Everything the Father is, he is to us. And so as we, as we, uh, as we finish up, let me just say, no one wants to deal with, this, the, with the fact of God, you know? You come, in, you come into the presence of God in his I amness, like, like uh, Moses who said, I want to see your glory. And, and it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a safe thing. You know, when God is there, actually there in the burning bush, and the I am is there, he says to Moses, take off your shoes, because this is, this is sacred ground. You know, you're coming near God. Remember Manoah, uh, Gideon's Samson, Samson's father and his mother. And the angel of the Lord ascends in the flames and they go, oh, we're going to die because we've seen God. And the wife, who's, who's somewhat more perceptive at that point than her husband, says, well, if God were going to kill us, he'd have done it already. <laughs> you know, but when we come into, you think about John in the beginning of Revelation, who has been with Jesus for years, who knows Jesus intimately, was the friend of Jesus, the one who Jesus leaned against and who leaned on Jesus in the upper room. And when he sees Jesus, um, well, when he sees the angel of the Lord in the beginning of Revelation, he falls on his face and then worships Jesus as he sees him. In, and so... There are many things about God 
that the Bible teaches us that that we tend not to like. We wish they weren't there, and we feel like we need to forgive God. You know, oh God, you really, you can't be sovereign and have made me suffer like this with with this breakup from this guy or from this with this lack of ability to have children or and and really in our approach to his sovereignty and our reaction to what he does in our lives we are attacking him in who he is we're saying you really can't be who you've said you are do you understand what i'm saying we are we're critical of it we we say you're not kind you're not you're not true to your promises you haven't every one of us in this room has done it you've said to god you didn't you didn't keep your word you know and you sit there and nurse it and you think well and you know in my life it was a prayer i prayed for you for a year god at the end of the year gave me something better than what i was praying for clearly absolutely undoubtedly better infinitely better than what I had been praying for and looking for. But I, for years, I said, God, you didn't answer my prayer. You know? And it led to me not praying like I had. For five years, I didn't pray like I had for the five years before that. Because I said, well, God does what he wants. And it took maybe 10 years, 15 years from that point to realize if God gives you a better thing than you're asking for, is he not answering your prayer? You know, like, what father, if his son asks for a snake, will give him a snake? You know how Jesus says, if, if your son asks for a loaf of bread or a fish, what father will give him a snake? But we think God is a God who we ask for a loaf of bread, and he gives him a snake. But what we're actually asking for is a snake from God. Because in our lack of wisdom, we don't understand that what we're seeking from him is not for our good and will not be for our benefit. And he gives us bread. He gives us something wonderful. And we say, snake, snake. We view it as a snake when, in fact, the thing we were seeking was the snake. And we're indicting God. So I want to close with reading something that I think is a great quote. And uh, I got it from my brother this week. It's from Stephen Charnock, who's an old, famous Puritan who wrote a book that's the classic on God in his nature. His book is called The Existence and Attributes of God. Have any of you ever read any of it? Portions. Portions. Okay. This is, this, is, this is a fundamental truth that we all need to understand. Man would make himself the rule of God. In other words, he'd measure God. Man would make himself the rule of God and give laws to his creator. That's what we want to do. We are willing that God should be our benefactor, our helper, but not our ruler. We are content to admire his excellency and pay him worship, provided he'll live by our rule. To think him to be what we ourselves would have him to be and wish him to be, in order to do this, we would amplify his mercy. We say, oh, he's merciful, merciful, and contract his justice. So we're constantly saying, God is merciful, and denying the fact that God is just. 
We would have his power enlarged to supply what we want and straightened, which means constricted, when it goes about to revenge our crimes, to punish our sins. We would have him wise to defeat our enemies, but not to defeat our unworthiness and our projects that are unworthy. We would have him all eyes to regard our indigence, our poverty, our need, and blind when it comes to discerning our guilt. We would have him true to his promises regardless of his precepts and false to his threatenings. So always be nice and never bring down the hammer. We would new mint, in other words, create out of whole cloth the nature of God according to our models. You know, the little boy over here in the mirror. We would say, us, us. According to our models and shape a God according to our own fancies. Instead of obeying him, we would have him obey us. Instead of owning and admiring his perfections, we would have him strip himself of his infinite excellency and clothe himself with a nature agreeable to our own. This is not only to set up self as the law of God, in other words, we rule God, but to make our own imaginations the model of the nature of God. This is something that we do not do. We do not live in casting on God our views. And it's common today. Everyone says, God is really like this. God is like this. And we cut out the portions. We're just like Thomas Jefferson, who cut out of his Bible all the things he didn't like about God and kept the things he did like. And this is how we live. But God is God. He is the I am. And we live with all of God. And we can't cut him apart or remold him. So thank you for your attention. I hope God blesses you today. Uh, Nathan, no, no. Uh, yeah, schmuck. Um, Calvin, stand up and close us. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.